Thank you for listening to the Wealth Amplifier podcast. As a reminder, the goal of this podcast is to amplify a person, topic, or idea. On some episodes, members of the Amplius team will discuss a topic or idea. And on other episodes, we will invite an outside guest that has some particular insights or expertise. We really hope you enjoy the show. And like always with Amplius, if you have suggestions as to how we can make things better, please let us know. As a reminder, nothing on this episode should be taken as legal, tax, or investment advice. Tax, legal, and investment advice topics should be discussed one-on-one with the appropriate advisor. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to episode 16 of the Wealth Amplifier podcast. I'm Matt Liebman. Aaron Marks is here. Say hello, Aaron. How is everybody? (laughs) And uh, Patrick Swift is here. Hello, everyone. Uh, Before we dive in, should I explain why I'm wearing this jersey for those that are watching on YouTube? Definitely. Please please do. And that's yesterday. a pitch for uh, everybody should be watching uh, on YouTube as well. That's right. That's right. So yesterday, uh, well, we're, we're recording this on February 27th. Yesterday, February 26th, 2024, was the three-year anniversary of the launch of Amplius Wealth Advisors. Happy anniversary, guys. And um, tonight, uh, the whole team, yesterday we had a great lunch in the office. Uh, we brought in Ed Jower for his 95th birthday celebration as well. And tonight, uh, many members of the team are going to the Flyers game. Uh, so I am wearing the only hockey jersey I own, which happens to be this uh, stylish, amplious hockey jersey that uh, that Pat got for me last year. And on the back of it, if we all wear ours tonight, <clears throat> I guess we'll, we'll miss uh, two of a total, uh, however many digits are in dates these days. Uh, we'll be missing Sam if he's not going to be there tonight. But if we all wear the jerseys, it'll be the date of launch. That's the that's what the numbers correlate with. So, right, right, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get fo- We get a follow picture on the social media for everybody. Matt, I don't know about you, but I think this is the only hockey jersey I've ever owned. Hundred percent true for me. Never. Uh, Never owned one. Uh, I can't think of the last time I went to a Flyers game, but I did correct some people in the office, Pat, today who thought there were uh, four periods that there are, in fact, three. <laughs> correct that for certain members of our team earlier today. I'm <laughs> glad you did because that might have got me a little fired up. Yeah, for you. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, to the to the amplification of episode 16, uh, we said we wanted to amplify not only people like we did on the last episode with Ron and Sana, but topics. So today's topic that we're going to discuss in the first segment of the podcast are structured notes. Essentially, what are they? Uh, how do we use them? Who, who do they make sense for? Who do they not make sense for? Some of the pros and cons and pitfalls of this product that gets a lot of attention and that is a little different now than it used to be, uh, certainly when I started in the business and even a few years ago when we were at a bigger firm. So why don't we dive in there? Uh, Aaron, you want to lead us off with how uh, you see these fitting in or any thoughts you have on structured notes? Sure. Well, structured notes, as you might recall us speaking about them in our former days before Amplius, market-length investments, and I guess structured notes is the broader uh, industry term for them. They're bank notes, just to explain what they are, tied to typically equity markets, so the stock market, whether it's a stock, an ETF, a series of indices, 
that can give you leverage on the upside, meaning market goes up one, I want two, or uh, protection on the downside, meaning market goes down 5%. I don't want to participate in those losses. And these are customizable instruments. So um, we like them for a combination of leverage and growth on the upside and protection on the downside. I, I'm a big fan more so now than when we were before and more so now maybe than we were at day one of Amplius because um, the evolution of the products themselves and how we design them. But uh, big fan. That was a quick high overview. I'm sure both Patrick and Matt can give you a couple more um, points there to explain what the structure notes are. But yeah. I mean, I'll just, you think you guys hit on, hit on the intro for them both. <clears throat> the thing that I, the way I sometimes introduce them to clients as they've heard me say, if they're listening, is I often think of them not from an investment standpoint, um, asset allocation risk standpoint, but as a as something like a CD or a bond in that there's a maturity date. It's not like an infinite investment, like um, like owning a, a stock or a bond, or excuse me, or a, st- a stock, I should say. It's going to have a maturity date. Often we prefer a shorter term maturity date, which I, we may get into as well. Um, but it provides you with potentially equity-like returns depending on what the underlying indexes are. So um I know we've we've had a lot of internal discussions about classification of these products. Um, are they bonds? Are they stocks? Uh, I guess it, we we sort of land that they can be a little bit of both. In fact, they are a little bit of both. So maybe that's a good segue to you know how you think about them, Matt, and how they're structured. No pun intended. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I do think of them as a bit of a hybrid security. We classify them currently in our system as equity alternatives, that is alternatives to stocks, especially the way we are using them, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, but in general, what I like to focus on with these, because I, I, I think sometimes they get the rep as uh, too good to be true, which they're not. Uh, there are there are downsides to them, which we'll, we can discuss. Um, and the other thing is they are a little different in that in histor- historically, when we were at the bigger firm, as Aaron was alluding to, these were products in a lot of cases that were seen as commission-oriented sales products, brokerage products that people would uh, – hopefully, we use them from time to time, not that often. We use them a lot more now. Uh, but that would have reasonably high commissions when, when, when you bought them. Now, as, as most of you know, we are totally out of the commission business. Uh, so we just buy these like any other investment. There's no incentive to do them or not do them. It's really how can we use them to manage the overall risk and goals of a portfolio. So it would be helpful. You guys think if I uh, went through the, the standard structure we've been using a lot in the last uh, couple of years with, with our clients that are on a regular program with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is a structure actually... It started with a conversation I had had with my dad when we were doing this uh, at, at first. But essentially, what we did was we wanted we created a structure which is 13 months in length. The idea there, and by the way, this is not every structured note we do, but this is what we do a lot of. 13 months in length, figuring that if it did work out, uh, we would get long term capital gains treatment, uh, which was important, especially uh, obviously in our in our taxable accounts. And essentially what we have is a basket of market indices uh, underneath the hood um, where we hold them for, we hold the note for 13 months. 
and we get leverage, as Aaron mentioned, on the upside, three to one, actually. So again, the market's up one, we're up three. Market's up two, we're up six. And we also get 10% downside protection. So the market's down 15, we're down five, and so on and so forth. But to the point about no free lunch, what we give up is there's a cap on these notes. And that's what we're solving for every single month, essentially, which is we put these out to bid for, let's say, 10 to 15 banks to give us the best terms they're willing to offer at that time, which is a big advantage now to what we used to have, where we would have to actually just basically take what was ever on the menu. Uh, so that's roughly speaking how we're using them now. I'll pause there and we can we can go into some of the the downsides of them and, and, and how they work and how they don't. But uh, but any thoughts on why you do or do not use them for for various uh, clients at this point? Well, so I sometimes think of them for obviously we don't use them across the board. <clears throat> we're very selective with where they make sense in someone's portfolio. A little bit broad stroke, but I would say I sometimes look at the use of structured notes for clients for specific accounts that they're not adding to on a regular basis. So if they have a potentially an, a, a retirement account that they're not actively contributing funds to per se, the way they are in like an active 401k plan or an active investment savings account, but it's a sum of money that is not being added to um, because it introduces a little bit of the things we're talking about here, potential for additional upside and some potential for downside protection. Um, where I will probably use them a little bit less or where I think, again, broad stroke, they make a little less sense is for an account where a client is contributing funds on an active basis. Because if you think about the product, the beauty of adding funds to an investment account over time, particularly an investment account that owns stocks or equity funds like we use, volatility ends up becoming your friend in those scenarios where the markets are down 10% in a given month from where they were a previous month. Great. Your dollar cost averaging regular reoccurring savings strategy is going to allow you to buy more of long-term investments at lower prices. With products like these with the structure, no, that's not really the case. You're not really, you don't have the opportunity to buy them per se, I guess, in theory, you'd have the opportunity to uh, uh, quote a note and, and buy it on, on, a, on a day where volatility is high. But generally speaking, I, I sometimes think of them that way. For static portfolios or static accounts that are not being contributed to, they can be really great risk protection methods or enhanced upside opportunities um, for people or for accounts, I should say, where we're actively contributing money to. I probably shy away from them a little more. Um, just to add some, some color, how I think about them sometimes. I also think behaviorally, they can really be really good investments because let's say you've got cash on the sidelines and these are not cash equivalents whatsoever, but let's just say a, a client does have long-term money. They do not need tomorrow or in five years or in 10 years, but they're leery of putting the mar money into the equity markets and having the drop, the bottom drop out, or uh, they don't want to just be, even though treasuries are a great investment right now in our eye, short term, you make your five plus percent and you call it a day. Okay. Well, if a financial plan dictates that maybe we need or want or desire some higher returns. A structure note could be a good stepping stone to um, getting exposure to the stock market with downside protection, um, and, and, and they're customizable. So yes, the one that Matt mentioned that we use a lot has 10% downside protection. You can build them with 100% downside protection if you want. Of course, you give up some more upside, um, 
but uh, I'm, 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 I'm distracting you. <laughs> what, what happened? What happened? What I missed? When when you were when you were giving that excellent point, there was a thumbs up bubble that just popped up randomly in and front I, of your I, face. You know, yeah. Technology, yeah. man. I did this with somebody, and a bunch of balloons as I was talking just started coming. My computer keeps turning that setting on. If I say the word congratulations, did balloons just pop up? No, no. not that time. Happy birthday. It, really, it, it did kind of look like, because I knew I didn't do anything. It looked like Pat was just giving a thumbs up to what you were saying. Uh, so, so, so again, <laughs> this is another reminder to watch us on YouTube and you can see what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I lost my train of thought there, but behaviorally, yeah, good getting invested that. into the market with downside protection. It, it's more than a toe in. It's several toes in. But yeah. uh, it's not the unfettered upside and downside of just the equity markets. Agreed. So uh, I'll just, you know, we wanted to keep the uh, the amplification of a topic to about 10 minutes. So I'll, I'll, I'll wrap us up here on, on structured notes. Uh, just a couple, a couple of things we like about them now that we did not particularly like at our old firm. And then just a couple of the drawbacks, just so, uh, uh, you know, pe- people know, that, again, that these are not uh, not a cure for everything. But, it, but essentially... What we like now, if you think about how we used to own these, again, as I mentioned before, there used to be commissions on them. Uh, we used to have to just take things sort of off the menu like you're at a restaurant. Here, here's what's available, which is why we didn't do them that much. Now we design a customized structure uh, that we put our clients in that we think makes sense for for the, the clients that we're putting in. And then we put them out to bid through one of our uh, various partners. There are a couple of these firms uh, that have essentially like fintech platforms where you uh, where you get multiple banks to compete for business. So as opposed to being captive when you're employed by a bank, we now have all the major banks or most of them competing for our clients' business, which I think is a really compelling thing where you can customize these investments. And I always look at them essentially like there are five different types of market environments, really bad, kind of bad, sideways, kind of good, and really good. And generally speaking, the way we use them, these should outperform in four of those five, but will likely underperform the the, the structure we're using in a big up market, the really good markets. And that is sort of the trade-off, again, because there's no free lunch. But uh, And and just to uh, I just finish up what I was saying on, on some of the, the drawbacks of these, and then I'll see if Aaron and Pat have any closing thoughts on this topic, is unlike owning a an ETF, a stock, whatever, these are particularly illiquid. So we always say we're buying these with a portion of the portfolio where we can hold to maturity, where we don't need to sell. They don't pay dividends generally, though there are some income-oriented notes, but, uh, but comparing to the stock market where, where you get dividends. Uh, and then perhaps there are many, you know, there, there are any number of negatives. Perhaps the biggest one, though, that people sometimes forget is they are obligations of a bank. They are credit obligations. So you may say, well, if the bank's not going to go broke, what do I care? Except in 2008, Lehman Brothers did go broke and they, and they had issued these. And so we have to be mindful of that when we're, when we're diversifying our exposure to these notes to make sure we don't get too concentrated in any one bank and, and tend to stick with the higher quality financial institutions here to try and mitigate that risk. And just to, for another point there, and, and, and Pat, I'll let you finish up. Um, they're em- almost infinitely customizable, meaning one of the big drivers of pricing on structured notes is volatility. So COVID 2008, whatever time frame comes around when the market goes haywire, your odds on these things can go wild in, in a good way. Um, you know, we bought for a bunch of clients. I think this is during COVID. It was a five-year investment on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That was the, the, the linked index. No downside protection. 
and you get 200% of the upside of whatever the Dow does. Okay, I'm a long-term investor. Market's down 10, 15, 20, 30%. I'll take 200% of the upside. Um, of course, the market could go down over five years. Uh, but like I mentioned before, you can have 100% downside protected. You can go the other way and just have leverage on the upside with no downside. So again, that's not one we use all the time, but to take advantage of certain markets, sure, we'll do that. Good point. Um, that was the one I was going to mention, Matt, is the credit risk. They are basically obligations of a financial institution. And oh, it's the classic example. But even last year, like Credit Suisse is a bank that had some issues and was purchased, acquired. Everything's fine. Their obligations are satisfied. But still, you know, we were uh, thinking back to that time, a little wary of having exposure to Credit Suisse. And there were other regional banks that had issues last year. So it's always, you know, it's just stuff like that, that we probably pay attention to as we should as fiduciary advisors for clients, but just something to be aware of. Um, the other thing I'll mention too is more just uh, to your point before Matt around, <clears throat> yeah, they they should do well in like four out of five markets The with that one market being, hey, when, when things just go, you know, when you have a su- superb bull market, um, you may miss out a little bit on the upside, but that's why we don't like any investment believe in having all of our eggs in one basket, right? Like if a client has an investment portfolio with us, we don't have 100% of their account and structured notes. So even in that scenario, they're still going to get upside to <laughs> to the rest right. of the market because they're going to have probably the majority of their investment holdings in things that are not structured notes. So they're really just mitigation, like anything else, great diversification tactics. Um, so just for what it's you worth, know what you know. I say to, to that point is, you know, at 5 to 15, 20% of your portfolio got capped at, you know, 17% and the market went up 25. You know what? So we paid for a little insurance. You know, it was a good thing you had ho- your homeowner's insurance and your house didn't blow up. But you know what? You slept easy at night um, and it accomplished the goal. Yep. Good point. And uh, so shifting to the the second part of the podcast, sort of our, our evergreen segments, um, Normally, we have Aaron read some headlines, but nothing was grabbing his attention today. So we will have a general market conversation there. But before we do that, um, the second installment of the Aaron Marks Hoagie Review. Uh, what do you have for us today? So I, I know you all expect hard-hitting financial topics, but yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to lighten it up here. No more structured note talk. <laughs> we're getting to hoagies. So for those who missed the last I don't know, two podcasts ago, uh, Pat nudged me um, to provide a hoagie review. Being from Philadelphia, we're passionate about our food and hoagies, sandwiches, subs, grinders, whatever you want to call them, uh, to do a hoagie review. So here we are with with number one. And I, and I did stress about who was going to get the first review because I, I did have a couple. I, I put myself to work over the last three weeks testing out hoagies. And my um, first hoagie review was going to be uh, Lee's. Lee's Hoagie House. Pat, I see your hands going up. So I know yep. Pat, familiar from West Philly. Matt, I'm sure from Abington. The one Lee's that Hoagie I just House had. House of Abington. Yep. That's right. <laughs> the one I had from Horsham. Uh, and, and they're not all related. And I'm going to try to keep this quick. I don't want to talk about hoagies for an hour here. Uh, <laughs> sorry. And look, our office is in Bluebell, but I'm sorry, Lee's of Bluebell. You, you are not equivalent to the West Philly, Abington, and Horsham one. So you got to step your game up. But but here we go. My feeling on the Lee's hoagie, it is the quintessential in a good way. And I grew up with this, one of my favorite hoagies, the quintessential suburban Philadelphia hoagie. What I mean by that, it's not your South Philly 
artisan meats and cheeses. And we've got that, that has a place and they're great hoagies. And, you know, we'll review those at another time. But this is, this is a sandwich, a hoagie that you can have anytime. And it's not just like every place can get the bread, the turkey, the cheese from the same place. You know, they find whatever, you know, you know, a supplier that supplies the turkey. But when you add in a little bit of your own flavor, your, your own fixins, meaning Lee's, They've got their own proprietary, and they sell it, oil and vinegar mix. Takes it they up. Do? Oh, I didn't even gosh. know that. Oh, yeah. I haven't been to Lee's since the 90s. I don't know. You, you have to tell you this. this is, I don't know if this is a sign of a good or a bad, and I'm going to say it's a good thing. Sign of a good hoagie joint. You walk, I picked up. I ordered. I go in. I'm in there for 45 seconds. I walked out. I smelled like a hoagie. <laughs> I got in the car. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> hot peppers, it's not just a pepper out of a – it's a hot pepper relish that, that you know, you can eat that on its own. So great role. They care about the hoagie. This is – and I don't know if I'm doing a 0 to 100 score, an 8, a 0 to 10, an 8, an 8 and yeah. an F. What do you think? What, what should go, I go with? Go 0 to 10. I feel like that's the, the common 0 to 10? So if I was thinking in, in letter terms, because I was thinking about that before, I was going to say – a solid, solid A. So I'm going to say Lee's of Horsham, Willow Grove, Abington, West Philly, not Bluebell, 9.0. Wow. wow. Okay. Yeah. Coming, my coming, out, coming out of the gates, high stepping yeah. with that review. Yeah. And, you know, you get sometimes 9.0 is a laminar. Do you say 9.1, 8.9? No, this is a solid nine. No questions about it. Top of the, the charts there. Plenty of room to get better. But I wanted to start with a favorite, a fan, a local favorite. So I, All hope, right. I, I hope everyone now sees what Matt and I were alluding to two weeks ago when we said Aaron is a hoagie connoisseur. He takes into account lots of things that the average hoagie eater does not. So that was a <laughs> excellent first preview. I appreciate I'm curious it. how the second one compares to Lee's. Um, um, all right. Good. Good. Yeah. Now we've got a benchmark. Back to hard-hitting financial news. Right. So back to hard-hitting finance. Um, Pat, markets, more or less all-time highs, give or take, depending on the day and the index. Uh, We're hearing a lot about this term, Magnificent Seven. I spoke with Ron and Sana a little bit about that on our last podcast. But let me just throw out the general topic. Magnificent Seven, markets at all-time highs. Anything, let's say, U.S. has been better than foreign over a decade, growth better than value, large better than small, tech better than everything. Is diversification useless and dead? I'll I'll, I'll give you that uh, uh, hard-hitting question, or does it still make sense? Um, The answer is it's not dead. Fire from the head. I agree. But, uh, and just for the audience to give some more, I came with some receipts uh, I, I meant to send this to you guys over the weekend. I saw the stat. So the Magnificent Seven, you guys fill me in here because I always have to rack my brain to remember exactly. It's, it's NVIDIA, Apple, Meta, Amazon, Tesla, Google, Microsoft, right? That's the seven? That was it. Yep. Okay. So those seven stocks are up. And this was as of, I guess, Monday or Sunday this week, uh, early February. Uh, uh, sorry, February 26th, whatever day we started this week. Um, the Magnificent Seven were up 1,700% since 2015 <laughs> compared to the S&P 500 has been up 140% over that period. 
The NASDAQ Composite Index, which is the largest tech index in the world, is up 230 as an index since that same time period. And the S&P 500 equal weight, which would be all the stocks in the S&P 500 with an equal weighting as opposed to market cap weighted, uh, is up 90% since 2015. So we now have, yeah, basically it just points the, paints the picture a little bit more on how uh, polarized the, the U.S. stock markets become with these seven. Diversification is not dead. Um, this is, I think your classic moment and it's been ongoing for many years now, obviously of, of thinking that this time's different of thinking it's okay to, you know, continue to plow into a strategy that has had all the momentum over the last like many years. Um, this is, this is the time to stay stoic and, uh, very, very diligent about your diversification because, so as you start thinking that way is when things drop the other way. So I'm not saying that that's about to happen, but um, it's not dead in my opinion. Uh, it never will be. So I, I'll tell you I'll, just a, a couple of comments. I think we all agree here and, and diversification does so much. It's not just um, within equities. It's not just equities to fixed income, but it, it lets you accomplish not just um, have less volatility. Well, maybe the volatility is, is the, the real reason, but let's just say you're not looking to outperform by diversification. Diversification lets you sleep at night, not have a portfolio blow up, which forces you to make a change at the wrong time, tax-wise, financial plan-wise. So something that you can invest in and not have to drastically change because something goes right or wrong is essential. Because even if it goes right, it goes right sometimes, not too well, like you're making money here, but then you've got this inflated portfolio of all gains and you become paralyzed and you don't want to make a change. We've talked about that before. So having diversification early on, yeah, you're going to have some of that high flying stuff. But um, when it's such an oversized weighting, um, it's harder to make changes down the road. So getting it diversified up front really goes a long way. And, you know, it's interesting, those stats uh, that Pat came prepared with, you're actually comparing those seven stocks, rightly so, to the areas of the market, the indices that have done the best, you know, NASDAQ, S&P, et cetera. You know, not to mention any value index, small caps, mid caps, and, and international, way behind those. So, and, and which only leads more to the thought of, you know, should I own any of those things? And and I think the answer is unequivocally yes. I I, I think the even the fact that this is a conversation to me is a bit of a contrarian indicator, as you were uh, as you were talking about. And again, it's not that we're anti these seven companies; they make a fortune, and, and and we don't mean to group them all together. They've just been grouped by by the media together. But even just a, a counterexample, just geographically, uh, what was it a week or two ago? The Nikkei just reached. Uh, uh, a positive return for the last 30 years mm -hmm. that at the time that was in some ways, the mag seven. And, and it was like, Japan's going to take over the world. Just invest in Japan, invest in Japan, second biggest stock market in the world. And then it does nothing for 30 years. Uh, we saw the same thing with tech stocks in 2000 and the NASDAQ uh, went straight down and, and really didn't recover, uh, nor did the S and P for over a decade, uh, well, the NASDAQ over a decade. So yeah, I, I, I think it's the, uh, the same lessons over and over again, but you have to keep relearning them. And, and I think those that now at the top load up on just a couple of companies 
I don't have a crystal ball. Don't know when it's going to happen. But if history is a guide, that's not how you want your uh, your overall portfolio structured. Well said. Yep. So would agree. shifting gears, we're getting towards the end of the podcast here. I am just impromptu, uh, something I was doing this morning, uh, giving you a betting line question over under for each of you. Uh, and it's going to get back to the 2024 election. Over under 0.5 of an electoral vote for anyone not named Donald Trump or Joe Biden. So will anyone win a single electoral vote other than the two guys that that are up there, um, Trump and Biden? So that could be someone else in their parties, could be a third party, or or is the answer going to be zero, in which case you would take under? I'm going to go over in part just in hopes, not that somebody (laughs) getting one does anything, but just for the, 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 you know, the sanity of the world, you know, for people to say, Hey, you know what, maybe we should have something else. Um, and cause who knows, maybe, maybe some catastrophic thing happens to either of the leading candidates right now. And there's a new leading candidate, uh, in their place. Um, so there's always that possibility. You've got a number um, of possibilities that could lead to the over. Yeah, the sure. I'd say Only because one that of leads that. To the under. Yeah. Right. Because of that, because of the number of possibilities, I say the over, which means it's the under, but I say the over. <laughs> Pat? I'm going over as well. Um, and I'll say it's going to be RFK Jr. who gets the over. There I'll goes Pat little, again with his extra. man, RFK Jr. <laughs> um <laughs> So I did look it up this morning, and I was just looking on on random sites. I think I got this right. But George Wallace, I think in 1968, was the last time a third party got an electoral vote. You know, So Ross Perot got a big chunk of the popular vote, but did not, did not win any states because the way we structure our elections. People like Ralph Nader and Jill Stein uh, or Gary Johnson had impacts on the outcome of elections in 2000, 2016, uh, but did not get any electoral votes. So it's been a while. Um, but, uh, but that was just something that was, uh, on a text chain I had this morning. So I figured I'd throw it out for the podcast. What what do you think? Um, my, the conservative side of me, not politically, but just, uh, just how I I view the world tends to think the answer is going to be under, but there's just nothing typical about this year. So I'm going to take the over also. I just feel like something, something strange will happen. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know which of those scenarios, but I think someone other than those two will at least get one electoral vote. Uh, and I'm curious. I haven't looked. I don't know if there are actual betting lines on that type of thing. Uh, there's usually a betting line on anything you want, but I have not looked. I don't know what the odds are. But but I think I'd go with you guys and take the over, which now that we've all agreed to that, I, I assume. Guaranteed. We'll book it under. <laughs> right. Book it the under. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we're moving, one other we're moving the betting lines market on our own. <laughs> right. One other random market topic, and this came up in a conversation I was having with my dad, um, but a lot of uh, Wall Street strategists yeah, were, were resetting their S&P 500 price targets for the year that that, that, that they always do, which is always uh, – and, and you, if you hear any strategists, when they get to another job, they're like, I'm just so glad I don't have to do that anymore because like, it, it's impossible. But here, here, here was the, uh, the, the topic, though. Where their price targets are right now 
um, now sitting here two months into the year, four year end. And, and what happens? The market goes up. So they raise their targets. It goes down. They lower their targets. This has been the game that's been going on forever. But where so they are right now <laughs> is about 5% higher than we are right now on, on, on average. A 10-month T-bill also yields about 5% right now. So just throwing it out there, it's an interesting – I'm not, I'm not going to throw it over under and put you on the spot, but it is an interesting competition that where Wall Street is saying the stock market's going to be is almost exactly equivalent with where if you just invested risk-free in a T-bill, presuming a T-bill is still risk-free, uh, you know, you'd have roughly taxes aside, roughly the same return for the rest of the year. Just throwing that out Interesting. There. Interesting analysis. I, I would um, love to take the risk-free bet on that. If there was any historical accuracy to Wall Street strategists' <laughs> price predictions, because then I would feel good about it. But the problem is, it's like a, I don't even understand who sets the rules on those. It's like, um, and I apologize for going off on a tangent on this, but it's like, oh, we had this like five percent up up on January first prediction, but we're already up five percent, so now we're going to raise it. It's like, no, 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 you got it wrong. You got it wrong <laughs> right, as right. of two months <laughs> in. Like, you can't just change it now. Like. I don't know. Have some courage. I don't know who makes the rules, but it drives me nuts. Um, and I just, I don't know. I laugh at them to, for the most part, but who, I don't know. I don't even know who knows what the heck's going to happen. And one of the reasons it's so hard is because you can be right for, let's say, let's just say you're talking on a 12 month cycle. You can be right for 12 months, 11 months, dead on. And then in that 12th month, market goes up 10%. Right. And it, or down 10%, whatever. But just like last year, November, looking right now, November 1st through December 31st, S&P was up 12 or 13%. So yeah, you, you know, to the upside is, hey, you stay in the market. All you need is one good month. Of course, on the downside is one good, one bad month wipes you out and all of your gains. Yep. Um, that's why it's so hard to time. Yeah. And it is interesting though, because uh, Warren Buffett right now is uh, just piling cash into six-month T-bills. Uh, now, I assume if he finds the right deal somewhere along the way, that money will come right out of the T-bill and he'll buy something. But it, but it is interesting. And speaking of predictions, we're only two months in. We will not do a recap of our predictions episode. It, to your point, it's a 12-month game. But uh, one of my contrarian ones is looking a little more promising when I said no Fed action whatsoever this year. Uh now people are off of the six to eight cuts and they're down to the two to four, but you get closer to an election. Maybe they lose their nerve a little bit. So I, I still think zero has a shot there. Fair. People are sliding over into your yes. camp. Yes, sliding slowly. Uh, not calling for any hikes, just no action. But uh, all right, we will we will wrap up here. Uh, our amplifications. What are you reading, watching, listening to? Anything uh, uh, that caught your attention uh, since our last uh, conversation here? I don't think... I referenced the bear on any previous ones, but after all the award shows and them winning so much, uh, I'm in the second season. I've not gotten to this epic episode that everybody says. The the Christmas dinner episode. I I think it's the next one. My brother told me he couldn't even get through it. He had to stop and watch it. I don't know what's going to happen. One of the best episodes of any show I've ever seen. It's better be good. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I love that no, show I do in like general. The, yeah, yeah. I do like the show. The, let me tell you what, the first and second season are wildly different. I mean, they're yes. like different shows, but I like yeah. both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Pat, you've seen that, uh, both seasons of that, mm-hmm. haven't you? Yeah, I'm a fan of the bear. Um, what I'm not a fan of, here's my here's my uh, negative take for, for the week. Um, I watched the newest 
season of True Detective, season four. Mm. Brutal. I'm so sorry, but brutal. Like, actually, I'm not sorry. The the first season of that show, and I've I've been texting with my mom, who's a huge Jodie Foster fan, as I think a lot of people from her generation are, as am I. Um, the first season was so good, unbelievable. In my opinion, pound for pound, best single season show of all time. Um, True Detective season one with McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. They flopped so hard on season two. And season three was like not great. I think they had just done this so four? poorly. This is season four. I was confused. I thought that HBO had strategically just said, okay, we're going to rebrand. And when they came out with Mirror of Easttown, which was good, I thought that was like, yeah, like rebranding. I thought they were going to be just like, okay, True Detective's dead because we killed it. Now we're going to just rebrand like new crime series over here with like a different name. And then they came back with true detective. I was like, Oh man, like this is, you, you better, you better bring it if you're going to come back with this now. And they couldn't have flopped harder. Like I, I <laughs> hated every second of it. It was bad. The characters, is it the same bad. writers in each one. I think so. Yes. It's this dude. He's got an Italian name, Nico Palazzo or something like that. He's been involved for all four. I think he's been like the <laughs> that a Seinfeld character. <laughs> Uh, my Enrico Palazzo, Naked Gun, Enrico Palazzo, Enrico Palazzo, Naked Gun. Hold on, I'll, I'm gonna fact check his name. Nico P- Pizzolato. It's pretty close. Nick oh, you Pizzolato. weren't you weren't far off. Okay, got it. Yeah, like Enrico Palazzo, but <laughs> br- brutal. Would not recommend. Um, on a more positive note, I've been. Uh, big into World War II stuff recently. I don't know why. And I'm reading this book called Japan 1941. It's a little bit sad, I guess, and negative, but it's all about um, why Japan like dropped the bomb in Pearl Harbor and uh, just like Japan. Why they attacked us at Pearl Harbor. Yeah, it's, okay. it's like Japan's perspective as to like why they got involved, what was going on in Japan. It's just, just interesting. Um, so I can concur. Uh, we quit. True Detective after two episodes, I was just sort of, I kept hearing bad things about it, but then I just wasn't, wasn't into it. So I I was definitely out on that. Um, Speaking of uh, World War II or, or spy oriented movies. um, Have you seen this movie? I think Paul Rudd was in it uh, based on the uh, Mo Berg, who was a baseball catcher for the Red Sox and then Mm -hmm. became a spy. Um, It's a crazy story. The movie itself, not so great, but uh, but it, but an interesting story. I think I read the book as a kid. I may go back and read the book, though, because it, it's, it's a really uh, cool story. But, um, no, the one I've watched recently that I liked, and Aaron, you told me about it. Um, it's the new Harlan Coben one. Um, I forget what, what's the show. I don't remember what it's called. I forget um, the name. It's like he does these, like, kind of, you know. Me uh, once. Fool Me Once, is that what it was? Potentially. Something like okay, that. Okay, so it might be that. But it's Harlan Coben's new show, and I'd give it a recommend. It is the uh, the plot twists are always uh, are really good. Uh, and, That's it. Uh, Fool Me Once. It was good. Fool Me Once? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was uh, uh, I thought that was good. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for episode 16. We should have a guest for episode 17 and then be back uh, for 18 with, with us. And I believe that we're working out the details uh the topic of taxes will be coming up on one or both of those uh, episodes as we are getting closer to the uh, April 15th initial filing deadline. So, uh, Pat, Aaron, I will see you later. Listeners, thanks for uh, listening in. And viewers on YouTube, check out this jersey. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Good.
go try a Lee's hoagie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Not in blue. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.